0: Life is so quick and if children are getting loads of homework as well, it just becomes this added pressure on families. For me, family learning shouldn't be about, come on, sit down, let's do some reading and writing together or let's do, let's practice your numbers or let's do this. It should be about incorporating learning into just normal activities that you're doing as a family anyway.
1: Welcome to the Lessons Outside the Classroom podcast. I'm your host, John Anno, and this is the place where I interview experts and professionals about a range of topics related to the development of soft skills in children. You'll also get practical tips and advice on how you can help your child develop these skills. If you have any specific topics you'd like covered, please email on lessonsoutside at gmail.com. Today, I'm talking to Julie Dunford, the co-founder of Family Learning School. Inspired by the Finnish education philosophy, where less is more, her vision is to establish a brand new model of primary education in the UK. During our discussion, we talk homework, parental influence, as well as the challenges of being a parent today. I'm really pleased today to have with me uh, Julie Dunford, who's the co-founder of Family Learning School.
0: That's right, and director of teaching and learning of Family Learning School, which we abbreviate to FLS.
1: Brilliant. So... You are actually uh, my very first interview, so thank you very much for being a guinea pig.
0: It is an absolute (laughs) honour.
1: Before we start, I've got a few fun questions, if you don't mind, um, revealing a few things about you. Okay. So, uh, first question, what's one goal you'd like to accomplish during your lifetime?
0: One goal. Okay. Main one, obviously, to set up an entirely new model of primary education, and possibly even secondary in the future. Wow. Wow just to give some incredible opportunities to children who otherwise wouldn't have them.
1: Brilliant. Um, second, tell me something interesting about you that that might surprise our
0: listener. Um, okay, so I'm actually quite scared of quite a few things. So I'm trying to instill confidence in my children and in other people's children, but I myself am really quite scared of things like ice skating and skiing. Really? And yes, I'm not a very adventurous person, which people probably find surprising when they see the sort of activities that we do with our children at school.
1: That does surprise me, actually. Um the final one, if you could choose your age to be forever, what age would you choose and why?
0: <sighs> Definitely late teens, early 20s. Just so much fun, wasn't it? Yep. Before life got really serious. I loved studying. I loved being at university. I loved the social life um not having too many responsibilities um but learning all the time and having setting ambitions and goals um and just having a lot of fun
1: brilliant good stuff um so now we're going to talk a bit about you about family learning school obviously i know a little bit about yourself we met before but for our listener it'd be great if you could just give a bit of a background in terms of your history i know you've had a a big sort of past in education kind of what led you up to starting family learning school um yeah, that'd be that'd be brilliant.
0: Okay, so I decided to go into teaching um, after university. I went and did my PGCE for a year, um, and I loved primary. But I really wanted to teach my specialist subjects, which was languages, and I was convinced that I could get teenagers um, really excited about language learning and open their eyes to what. A, Incredible life skill it is, and how many doors can be opened um, if they speak a foreign language. So, I went, went into secondary teaching, absolutely loved it, did it for 10 years. But when I had my first daughter, my priorities just completely changed. So, I decided to retrain and set up my own home based childcare business. Wow. <laughs> um, so, and it was completely different. And yeah, I learned so much about running my own business at the same time. And it's through that. That I met Alida Smith. She was one of my childcare clients. So one day she just said to me, before she whizzed off the door to work, I think we should set up a school together, Julie. And I said, okay, let's do it.
1: Well, as simple as that.
0: And it was a bit of a, and then she just ran off to work in in London. And I was left thinking all day, oh my goodness, this is something that I really have always wanted to do. So that's where it all began. And then we're two years later and we've been running a, um, a class for the past year.
1: Brilliant. Wow. So yeah, tell me, in terms of the family learning school, what's the philosophy? I know sort of looking at the website, I see a lot about parental involvement. What's your philosophy about the family learning school? And actually, how would you say it differs from, I guess, your your mainstream, um, I guess, primary schools? Yeah.
0: So when we were looking round primary schools, and we're very lucky to be in an area where there's lots of very good primary schools. And um, the thing that's really struck me and why I wasn't, excited about my daughter going into a mainstream school was literally class size just the fact that the you know, classrooms themselves are quite small and there was just seemed to be a lot of children in these, class, in these classrooms and so that was the first thing when we were deciding what our vision for the family learning school was, was thinking okay we need it to be smaller classes so our class size is 12 to 15 children mm-hmm. Um, being inspired by my childcare setting, where, we had, where we've got small, class, small groups as well, but it's also mixed age. And we decided that the mixed age environment is very, very exciting. It has so many learning opportunities, additional learning opportunities that just come naturally through that mixed age environment. So the family learning school, it's for three to 11-year-olds, but for a lot of the activities, it is mixed age. So we have three-year-olds currently, we haven't got it currently out, eldest children are eight but they are all in together obviously young children we know that young children obviously yeah. learn from older children but the older children get so much out of learning so much out of interacting with younger children especially if they don't have younger siblings themselves sure. or if they are only children you suddenly just see them developing all these skills that they didn't even know they had so just being empathetic and really looking out for the younger children um we take them on trips all the time. So we went to Chiselhurst Caves last Friday and immediately going into a dark environment, um, didn't have to ask them to, but the older children just naturally went and made sure the younger ones were okay and held their hands and went round with them. It was really, really lovely. So family learning school, small classes um, and mixed age classes, um, just being a smaller class means that you can personalise their learning. So at the moment, obviously everyone knows about testing in schools and standardization and how it can Mm. feel like a bit of an exam factory. And we're focusing on personalizing learning for each child, which in a small class with two teachers in each class, you can really do, you can really get to know your children. And that is what is so, what makes the job so rewarding. But because it's in such small groups, they also get so much time for different experiences. So we are... We want to be outside as much as possible. So they have one whole day a week where they're doing in forest education. And when I see the children for a whole day in a proper forest and see what they get out of it, it is really incredible. And as an adult, when I've joined them for the day, it's just so relaxing and so calming. (laughs) And I saw all these commuters coming off the train local train station. (laughs) And I felt a little bit smug that I'd been in the forest all day and in the... um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just having this lovely experience. And I, I think, well, if that has a, that effect on me, feeling that calm and relaxed after a day in nature, then it must have the same effect on children. Yeah. And it is mainly child-led. So and interesting, at the beginning of the year, the children didn't really know what to do. They were saying, well, you know, what are we going to do today? And our forest school leader was saying, I don't know. You tell me, what are we going to do today? And they found it a bit odd, the fact that an adult wasn't, Leading, yes, Um, can imagine. And now they happily go off and they just make up their own activities all day. Today we were—they always light a fire at some point in the day. And today um, we had, you know, three and four-year-olds using matches. So, big part of forest education is taking risks. And actually, I think we become far too risk risk risk-averse in society. And it's really—I feel like it's really detrimental to children's learning. You know, it's understandable we see lots of awful things happening in the world and but when it comes to play and children learn best through play um at this age we've got to let them take risks and learn for themselves and explore things and let them go to the very highest branch of a tree our children are very good tree climbers it does scare me sometimes (laughs) um clearly everything is risk assessed to the hilt but um it's quite terrifying at the same time i don't let them see that i'm a bit nervous about it and it just means that their confidence is well it's sky high Uh,
1: and i think that's something that seems to be coming through obviously there's a focus on yes academics but it seems like your approach is something that engenders not just, I guess, in numeracy, literacy, academia, but what what specific skill would you say come to the fore the most? Again, you've mentioned confidence. Are there anything other things?
0: It's generally the Cs: so creativity, collaboration, cooperation, communication, coordination, and confidence. So I would say we don't necessarily focus on, and we don't plan activities around that, but just from the activities we do, it does come. This comes through naturally. So we are keeping in the ethos of basically. Most European countries where they don't start formal education until the age of six or seven.
1: That's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm, I only sort of found out quite recently. So talk me through how they do it in Europe very briefly. Um, I know Scandinavia, Finland, is it six, seven they start? Yeah,
0: most European countries, but Finland is the one to look at. We actually went to Finland when we decided to do this. We, we went on a research trip to visit schools in Finland, um, spent five days there. And spoke to teachers, spoke to parents, spoke to school directors, and they all—they're all baffled by our education system. Um, they can't understand why we are teaching our children to read and write at the age of three. Oh, so I, wow. I told our—I um, told the uh, you know, the children who we were meeting. We went into loads of different classes, and we spoke to the, the children. Obviously, all their English is really good, so they are all bilingual, if not multilingual, as well. Um, but they literally could not believe that we taught our children to read and write at the age of three and four. So they have kindergarten up until the age of six or seven um, and from kindergarten. That's again, it's just learning through play. It's like our preschools and our nurseries are here. It was really interesting because when we went in to visit a kindergarten, they asked me if I wanted to lead a little session and they loved Sleeping bunnies, one of obviously a firm (laughs) favourites over here. They thought it was brilliant, and I just thought, wow, yeah, these are six and seven year olds, and they are really enjoying all the things that we do in in early years. So, and just the difference was really interesting. I was thinking, six and seven year olds over here are, I mean, they've either preparing for a phonics test or they are suddenly academically everything has been really, really upped. And they are at their tables most of the day, and it's that structured learning. Whereas Finland, knowing that the brain is still developing so quickly at that during those ages, and they're learning a lot through play, learning a lot through creativity, there actually there's more links actually being made in the brain during those years, so that when they are seven years old, they can actually absorb more academically, much easier. And also, they're just having fun. Yeah, and for me, when they're, exactly, when they're little, that's what, that's what it should be about. And Finland, it, they top the charts. So internationally, they're always up there in the top three. Um, oh, right, in terms of attainment and... Yeah, well. academic achievement. We are down somewhere at 26, which is really depressing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, we, so that's uh, an education system that we looked to when we were setting this up. Also in Finland, they really trust their teachers. It's a really, they make teaching a very um, high profile profession, which definitely can't be said in this country. They invest a lot in teacher training. They only accept a tenth of applications. So they get 10 times the amount of application people wanting to be teachers. um, And they have to be educated to master's level to be a teacher. It It just instills real confidence among parents in teachers so we asked the question when we were there what happens if a child doesn't um understand this you know do you if you're not if you're not testing them how do you know well, what do you do if they don't understand and they just said well if they don't get it this year they'll get it next year that's how they work that's a so, nice philosophy yeah and just, these, just the atmosphere you know, the teachers weren't stressed honestly in you know, a school over here teachers are running around doing an amazing job in a very difficult system and They never get a chance to sit down. They never get a chance to really just talk to colleagues and just enjoy their job. Everything is just like fast-paced and on to the next thing with less and less time to reflect. Um, And it creates like a more stressful learning environment for children and obviously stressful work environment for teachers. Another thing that we're doing at the family learning school is with our curriculum, we're taking on the Finnish philosophy that less is more. So Mm. rather than cramming loads of stuff into the curriculum and saying, kids have got to know this, they've got to know know this, 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 and this in this amount of time, we're saying, look, let's have an outline of what we want them to do, what sort of topics we can cover. And then if children are really into it, then we'll keep going with that topic. If they're not really into it, then we'll say, okay, let's leave that. doesn't matter. But any topic we choose, we can then work the literacy and the numeracy into that topic. Mm. So when... Children first join us. We ask parents to fill out a, um, a questionnaire about all about their children, including their children's interests, so that we can really tap into their interests and really understand what motivates them. And then we can build a curriculum around that. I'll give you an example. So they were just talking about, taking the first few weeks, about potentially doing some sort of charity cake sale. And they were saying, well, you know, we're always in this beautiful park there are lots of dogs here why don't we do a dog bake sale so they started researching about dog biscuits and what dogs like to eat and how we can make it how they can make it nutritious and they ended up writing recipes they had to write letters to the the owner of the property to say is it okay if we do this working out their costings so making sure they make a profit for charity and suddenly that one comment that child made just had always learning opportunities around it And because it was to do with something that they were really looking forward to doing, they were much more motivated to learn.
1: That's, I've got to say, lots of food for thought here. One of the things that you talk a lot and one of your philosophies at the Family Learning School is parental involvement. Um, How do you require parents to get involved? How do you make it work with parents
0: well, first of all, we are a not-for-profit organisation and I'm a, I'm a voluntary director alongside Alida Smith. So even though we are we do ask parents for financial contributions, we're keeping it as low as we possibly can. And we do hope to be able to offer subsidised and free places in the fairly near future. But one of the things we do ask parents to do for to be involved and to help keep our costs down is to offer something to the school. So it could be something that they do professionally that they'll be able to help us with. So we have had social media managers say that they can um, help us with that side of running the school. Or it could be they've got a certain skill that they can come in and teach the children. So we are involving parents in that way. Um, but we're calling it a family learning school because we believe that it's children are mainly still always going to be educated in the home. So they get children get their their value system from the home and so therefore parents or guardians and other people in the family as well have a big responsibility so even though everyone talks about parental engagements we call it family learning because it includes grandparents as well or even anyone else in the family so we've had grandparents come into our class and grandparents love obviously being involved but also the children get a lot out of the intergenerational Mm. um relationships as well and obviously grandparents have so much to offer they've (laughs) <laughs> yeah. they've, you know, they've lived that much longer they've seen more life and they've had their careers and so yeah we like to really hone in on grandparents or any other family members as well so we don't set homework um there's i've never found any research which backs up that homework actually really improves academic performance in, at primary level what it does do Obviously, it is a way of engaging parents. So if a child brings home some homework, then that's a way for parents to know what their child's been doing at school. And, you know, engaged parents will obviously sit down and do that homework. So we don't set homework, but we do suggest family learning opportunities. So it could be it's always linked to something that the children have been doing at school. And we write them with suggestions. It is just suggestions. Um, But we make sure it's a range of them. So we did a whole couple of weeks around dinosaurs. So we suggested, for example, that as a family learning opportunity, they could go to Crystal Palace Park and see the dinosaurs, Um, maybe take some photographs and come back into the class and show their friends their photographs. Um, Or they could get some Play-Doh or some clay and make some dinosaurs, or they could draw some dinosaurs, or they might want to write a diary of a dinosaur. So we were making sure that we were catering for every family and actually Mm -hmm. we always stress that a family learning activity isn't about the outcome it's about actually the experience of them doing it together so and there shouldn't be any pressure involved and actually if a child's not interested then just leave it
1: it's interesting because i guess you know looking at my Mm -hmm. own experience and potentially people listening that you know that that battleground as you said in terms of um, homework um but also in terms of getting time you know um I go to work, my wife goes to work, drop the kids at school, you pick them up. Sometimes they've got a class. um, After the class, they come back, they've got to eat, they've got to do the homework. You want to spend a bit of time with them, but they have to have a bath. And I think, you know, on a personal level, something that we found is finding it difficult to actually get the time to spend with your kid, you know, whether it be homework, but also, you know, how do we start to develop those other skills in a way that's sort of natural? Because you know, if you're anything like my son, like to the earlier one today, sitting him down to,
0: to sit him down, he just, he, just,
1: he just didn't want to do it, you know, and then you are as a parent kind of trying to force him because you think you've got to do that. I'd love to get your view on, on how as a parent, given the busy world we live in, mm-hmm. given the fact that um, we've all got to go out to work, you've got single parent families. How do we really engage children and be great to get your get your view on you know what i guess what you've done also
0: yeah i completely agree that life is so quick with Mm. other parents it's just all sped up so much for us as a a family and i did my my daughter does have um, a piano lesson every monday and suddenly it comes around to monday and we haven't done any practice at all because the time has gone so quickly and you know i get that sort of panicky feeling she hasn't done her practice and so i can imagine if children are getting loads of homework as well it just becomes this added pressure on families so for me family learning shouldn't be about come on sit down let's do some reading and writing together or let's do let's practice your numbers or let's do this it should be about incorporating learning into just normal activities that you're doing as a family anyway but before I get on to that just spending time with your children is actually the most important thing you can do actually. And not just being in the same room as them, but actually properly listening to them and talking to them. And I think we live, um, in a world now where it's so easy when we've got technology around us for us all to be absorbed in Mm. our screens. And it really frightens me. And I, I find it really difficult to, Because obviously yes, my working life is really, really busy and I am constantly connected. Um, to various social media outlets and i really don't want my children to see me using my phone all the time so i'm guilty um yeah i think well i think we all are and it's but it's so difficult not to especially if you if you know you're waiting for an important message and you hear it go and you just really want you know it's something really important so i'm i find myself apologizing to my children saying i'm so sorry Mummy just has to answer this message but i do think that it makes it's Things much tougher for us in our generation than for our parents they didn't have that pressure of technology and family meals I read a shocking statistic the other day, which i'm really hoping isn't true that thirty eight percent of children um, refuse to sit at the table for dinner thirty eight percent't I just hope it's not true but um, <laughs> because that is something that as a family we do always really make the effort to do, and it's the way My husband and I were both brought up and it's just around that family table where you are communicating all the time. You're talking about your, you know, your days and what, you know, ask the children what they've been learning about and ask them what they've been proud of recently. Um, But also just we can throw in some education in there as well. So um, our children might help dish up the dinner. So they're learning. It's like a responsibility that they're keen to do, but they're also um, learning actually basic division. We have... Two bits, two big bits of fish. There were four of us. How are they going to divide it evenly? Things like that. So, any sort of situation that you are normally doing, like eating dinner or having to do the laundry, or you can incorporate so much learning into that. And me, for me, that is what family learning is about. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, it could be doing laundry, for instance. You've got loads of socks. You actually, I hate pairing socks, absolutely hate it. Get my children to do it for me. That is a, you know, they're learning how to, they're learning, looking at patterns of socks, they're learning to pair things up. My three-year-old finds it really hard to turn them over to keep them in place. And so she's developing her five motor skills while she's doing it. And a really horrible job, household job that I hate is being done for me. So they're learning and <laughs> it's a win-win situation. So for me, that's what family learning is about. So it's I call it um exploiting learning opportunities. Mm-hmm. So um they might be, they might love Lego. So rather than just obviously they're playing with Lego, which is brilliant, and obviously they're learning loads through playing by themselves. Um, if you thought, if you had, you know, if you wanted to, you could go over and encourage them to make a pattern with the Lego, or to build, or just drop in vocabulary. It doesn't even have to be asking them to do anything. It could be just using mathematical terminology. So when they're really little, saying, talking about which is you know bigger than, smaller than, equal to, um, it's the tall list, the small list, all those sort of vocabulary is all helping them to develop their mathematical concepts and. Yeah. Terminology. If they're doing, if they love doing Play Doh, then you could, again, all these things are really good for their fine motor skills as well, including just eating at the table, encouraging them to, you know, asking them, making sure they're using cutlery, just cutting up their dinner and using a knife and fork properly. That is strengthening their hands. And a lot of these activities in the early years, are all for fine motor skills because we're seeing children in primary schools just not being able to hold a pen at all. So they can't possibly learn how to write if they haven't got a good pen grip. Mm. And that comes from having the muscles in your fingers yeah. to be able to do that. So a lot of children don't get that until they're six or seven years old. And then, you know, primary schools are teaching. This is not this is no fault of teachers, by the way. Teachers are doing an amazing job. This is a system and that is being put upon teachers. But, you know, the pressure to do cursive writing well, some children just literally do not have the ability to do cursive writing until they're older, until they have those fine motor skills. So you're basically setting, teachers are setting, or the system, I should say, is setting a child up to fail, really, right from the start. They just don't have the strength in their hand to do that yet.
1: That's interesting because, yeah, you're right, I think there's a big pressure on learning to do that joined-up writing. I've always thought, well, why?
0: I've just, don't, well, when they're learning to read, they're reading books that isn't joined up writing, so they're learning to read at the Very same true. time. And print is always that it's print; it's not joined up. So why they t- why with why they think it's great to teach joined up writing? Having said that, some children are really motivated; they want to learn to join up writing. They see it as a really grown up thing. So actually, we have we have a few children in our class who they say, "Can we join up now?" and they find it really motivating. But that's when you have a smaller groups. We know the children who are motivated by that, so we use joined up handwriting as a real motivator for improving writing but in the same class we have children who have been completely put off from writing at all because they've been forced to join up and actually when I said you don't like joining up your writing do you and he said not really I said well don't do it then and then suddenly he writes a whole page of really beautiful writing because he's in print because he hasn't been he hasn't had that pressure to join us up. Mm. And all children are so different.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think just to summarize your your last point about the parental involvement, it's it's quite reassuring that essentially if it's just about incorporating the learning into everyday life and there's an opportunity every day. And I think as a, as a parent, sometimes you, you're always looking for these classes. And one thing you do realize is that it adds up. There's various classes that we've sometimes sent mm-hmm. sort of our kids to. Um, and we're thinking actually, you know, it's <laughs> spending quite a lot of money here.
0: It's so expensive. Um,
1: and actually, are there other ways we can do it for, for less money and actually get more more value?
0: Literally for free. I do think we also run the risk at the moment of really overscheduling our children. So they have a long day at school, eight thirty till three thirty, then they're whizzed off to another class somewhere for another hour, then they come home, have to do some homework at the weekends, they're off to another class and it's just too much. And actually they could get they could learn Probably more, taking them to the woods, getting them running around in the woods, and getting them to build a den, getting them to be creative, and actually not telling them what to do, but actually making them think for themselves. Um, But I do think there are so many classes out there; it can be completely mind-boggling as parents. And you hear, you know, so and so is doing this class and this class. Oh gosh, am I letting down my child by not letting (laughs) them do it? Again, that's a, it's a huge benefit of um, FLS that because we have these small groups again, they can get they can do their academic learning the first in that sorry in three mornings. In the afternoons, they do the other classes. So at the moment, we take our class swimming once a week. So I don't have to worry about taking my children to a swimming lesson out of school time because it's in their school time. Um, and on a Friday, we do our Friday adventures. So they go off. We do different trips every single week. So that's another. Um, reason what, what makes the school really really special we do take them out into the real world so rather than again having to have this pressure as a parent of having to think oh gosh I bet we better take our child climbing we better take them do this all these different opportunities that, that we have now it's actually the parent of the school it's kind of done for you so yeah. then you don't have you know they've done such a variety of activities during the week that you can just sit back and enjoy I think enjoy your weekend more and actually it's so important for children to have Downtime,
1: and I also think for the parents as well,
0: because oh as
1: goodness. a as a parent, kind of it's you know during the week, and then comes the weekend. It's you know if you've got one kid, that's you know it, a lot, but if you then put on two, three, four kids, kind of you know whether it be football, ballet, piano lessons, whatever else lessons, it's you're you're forever spending. I know parents are forever in their cars, sort yeah. of whisking their kids to and from, and you know there's a toll on them because you know you you work potentially all week you want a little bit of uh, downtime yeah. for yourself so lots of things one thing i saw on your website actually
0: mm.
1: which i thought was extremely fascinating was it was a quote from um, i think it was a professor of education called john hattie um, and i'll just quote here it says the effect of parental engagement over over a student's school career is equivalent to adding an extra two to three years to that student's education i saw that and i was kind of Blown away. Um, it's
0: incredible, isn't it? It's really hard. There's so much research out there, so much about parental engagement, parental involvement, and but it's so hard to quantify it because it's a bit like the softer skills that you were talking about. You can't measure confidence, you can't measure. And it's a bit saying the fact that there's so much involved in actually in a child education, it's really very difficult to say well, that child is doing really well because it's because of the parental engagement that's mm. taken place because there's so many other factors as well. So that one really stood out for me. Um, he's a leading educationist, educational researcher in New Zealand. and um, But I can actually believe that.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I think the idea of just taking the pressure off, you know, go at their own pace, you know, it's, it's, it's easier said than done because I mean, I said as a parent, I, I'd love to say, yeah, I'm the chilled out one. And it's really good to to speak to you today about actually you know, some of the things you're doing and some of the ways that as a parent, we can, you know, help our kids and, and not feel the pressure. Cause I do feel that particularly in the UK, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah.
0: And it is, <clears throat> for me, I think it definitely comes across with the reading and writing in particular. I think it's probably something because, because you can quantify it quite easily. Mm. <clears throat> we all have the sets of Biff and Chip and things. And, you know, so you know, what kind of what level your child is doing. So, you know, I, and you can't help but like try your child on like a different a slightly higher level to see how well they fare and then like they obviously flounder and then it gets a bit and then you feel a bit frustrated so you start getting frustrated with the child i mean i, I am i find it reading with one of my children in particular quite challenging just because her concentration and focus isn't quite there yet and so i've had to really just if she's not in the mood to do it i just do leave it alone because it's just not worth getting into it um but then if she suddenly wants to read and that's something actually which I think is really important that I will drop everything I'm doing if my child wants to do some particular activity and I think it's a really good opportunity to do some some really good sort of like learning with them teaching and learning with them I will just forget what I'm doing and I'll put it away and I'll concentrate on that because I just think, gosh, this is them actually wanting to do this. This is a, an amazing opportunity for me to teach them something. Not in like, again, not in a sit-down, let's do this, unless actually they really want to do it that way. I've, my children are both very, very different characters, um, just education, academically and just everything. And my three-year-old, one Sunday, I was on a bit of a mission in my home to get everything clean, everything washed, everything, and I was really quite enjoying myself doing it. And then she comes over and says... Mommy, I'd like to learn to read today, please. <laughs> Which is, I was like, oh, okay. So I basically put down, the, put down what I was doing and we sat. I just went with what she wanted to do and we sat for, an it was about an hour and she wanted wow. to go through all her sounds. And if I had said, no, sorry, I'm too busy, that opportunity might not come up again for six months. I just don't know. But the fact that she said, I want to do this. So that for me was like golden time. I didn't care if the house was dirty for another week. My child learned a lot of sounds that day and yeah. then now she knows, and now she still wants to practice them and i was so proud of her and i kept saying i'm so proud of your reading and so then she constantly wants to do it and i think that's also um something that's really important and valuable in family for family learning because yes. we're basically supporting a child
1: so tell me because you know you've you've got you set up a school and you've kind of got that all sorted It, it was good to hear Actually, what you were saying earlier—that actually you've got you have challenges as well—and we are all in it together. And you know, it can be it can be hard. You said there's such pressure to keep up, and you know, with all social media, um, there's this facade of people kind of almost sort of pretending that everything is great, and, and there's that pressure thinking, well, everyone's doing such a good job.
0: Yes, and now that I've just said that about my three-year-old saying that to me, I don't want any parents to be thinking, oh gosh, my my three-year-old has never said that to me. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's probably one of the worst things I could have said on this, but. Um, but yes, I find parenting generally is the most frustrating thing I've ever done in my life. It's makes it I can get incredibly wound up um and frustrated by them especially when it comes – I think it's probably a teacher thing as well. Being a teacher and a parent isn't probably a very good mix because I see other children, so I can't help but compare my children to other children, mm. and I really try not to. And again, I'm, I'm fundamentally against that, but you, when you're emotionally invested in your own child, it's really Absolutely. difficult not to. But I have to say this year, seeing – because they're part of this, this really special um, first class that we've had for FLS, I can just see the benefit of everything we're doing, not only – with my own children, but with the, with the group. And I've seen, I, I got to know these children right at the beginning and I've seen just how they've developed. And I can genuinely say that I, I really don't care anymore whether my five-year-old can read a level four book anymore because mm. I know it's coming. It's, it's just improving all the time. And if I get, like I say, if I get frustrated one evening, I feel myself getting frustrated. I'll just say, you know what, we're not going to do this tonight and much happier bedtime. Um, because I can see that all the other benefits, the confidence that she's gained, and just the way you know they all collaborate together. So yes, yeah, so I definitely feel a lot less pressure with their with them academically. So I just think we do put so much pressure on ourselves, and it be much more beneficial for our children if we didn't put that pressure on. It was much more relaxed, and we just enjoyed spending time with them. Um, I really think like playing games. If you're card games for instance, you might say, okay, so we've got a pack of cards, we Need to how many people are here? Okay, who can divide the pack up for me? And they'll be learning mm. how to divide it up. Or a firm favourite of my children at the moment is a memory game. So we and this is a good example of family learning actually. They have a memory game for Christmas for Christmas present and it was the Paw Patrol one. You know, the game where you put 10 over all the cards and then you have to find the pairs. Yeah. So I had the feedback from teacher at school saying um, great reading today, but if you can, if you if you have time, please practice the probably the ee or the ea sound um, um, with your daughter. So I thought, great, okay. So I had these just these blank flashcards, little bits of cardboard. You can make them yourself. So I thought, actually so into memory games. I will create a game, a memory game, but it will be with these two sounds. So basically, it just took me two minutes to write some words with the ee and the ea sound on and turn them all over and we played a memory game for about half an hour she was really into it because it was her favorite type of game but i incorporated the literacy that she needed to practice into it
1: so that's family learning see and that brings us on to kind of (coughs) just the last (coughs) thing um that i'd like to do is do you have three pieces of practical advice that you could give to to parents that they could literally take home after they've listened to this and, and go and implement Um, with their with the kids
0: okay if they're not doing it already I would say have things accessible for children for arts and crafts writing materials just somewhere accessible in their house
1: does that mean sort of of pieces of paper around yeah
0: maybe a little drawer for paper pencils pens um, but also small things that they can use for cut and scissors things for cutting and sticking it's all really good for fine motor skills so you know, when children are at nursery, they come back with all these lovely arts and crafts. And it's all, you know, and I don't think parents often understand the educational benefit of it. So arts and crafts are brilliant for that. And I think having somewhere in your home where children can access it all the time is really, really valuable okay. for their learning. Um games, I have talked about games, so think about what games you could play. I really like I like all the orchard toy games. So having part of your day if you can, but if not part of your week where you sit down phones go away and you play good old-fashioned games and within those games if you can bring in some numeracy, literacy, some core skills into them, even better. Displays at home, so if your child is learning to to read, I would have a word wall up and I do mine, whatever story we're reading, if there's a word that she might get stuck on, I'll hone in on that word and the key sound that she's stuck on and then we will, it can just be with um, post-it notes. You would find a you can sit them on bedroom wall. You just write some of those words with that key, that key sounding. And then just during the week, you can just practice getting ready for school. Just have a quick practice Say, um, can you point to or can you bang the the word that says sheep? And then they have to read and just. Oh, right. Bang. So just
1: having literally simple as a post-it note yeah. up in their bedrooms. Yeah.
0: Again, you can buy expensive flashcards. You don't need to spend the money. Just literally, yeah. it could be on a scrap of paper, a bit of blue and it could be on the fridge could be could be anywhere. And doesn't have to be like a twenty minute session. It can just be a 30 second, you know, just got ready for school. Right. Let's let's have a look at these words. Um, can you point to this word or can you bang on this word? Can you let's just go through them quickly and read them. It's literally 30 seconds, but they're practicing their their reading and then just lots of praise like if they get it right. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm going on for more than three now, I'm sorry.
1: That's fine. <laughs> no, this is great. <laughs> um
0: the um talked about yeah, just letting children play um, and just and watch them play. Like Take time out yourself just to watch your children play. Listen to the dialogue they're having, all the monologue they're having. It's really fascinating just to to listen and enjoy it mm. because before they become inhibited, you know, when they're still that little and they're happy just to be singing to themselves or all that is learning. And actually, I really want parents to appreciate playing as learning. And actually, they don't have to be sitting at a table with a you know, piece of paper and pencil in their hand. Whatever they are doing, children are learning all the time. And if you're if you're facilitating that learning, you might not actually be engaging with them at all. You might be doing your own work, your own things in your home. But if you've given them the resources and the 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 environment like a nice home environment to facilitate that learning, then you're doing a great job. Brilliant. And finally, the reason for me setting up the family learning school was that I didn't want to look back and regret anything Mm -hmm. because that none of it is a rehearsal. We only get one shot at it. Absolutely. So we brought these tiny little beings into the world. They're all completely different. And my my biggest fear as a parent would that be that at any time, I might look back and say, oh, I wish I'd done that differently. Why did I do that? Because you just can't go back and do it again. Children are only small for a very short amount of time. Absolutely. Who cares yes. if they can't read or write by the time they're six? Like, they can learn to read or write the following year. As in, just, let's just enjoy them and let them enjoy being children and playing and know that they're all doing and to be proud of them and make them and let them know that we are proud of them um because that intrinsic motivation and actually saying not rewarding them for doing something well by giving them something or giving them loads of stickers but actually get them to realize that what they're doing what they've done is amazing you get that feeling inside them when they when they're really proud of themselves mm, the achievement yeah yes that is the best thing that i can hear as a parent and as a teacher
1: brilliant um, well listen, Julie, this has been fantastic, really enjoyable. Um, for any of those out there, I mean, if some if any of our listeners want to hear more or find out more about Family Learning School, how would they do that?
0: So if people want to find out more, they can look at our Facebook page, which is just called the Family Learning School. Website is familylearningschool.com. and through that you can contact us and we'd be very happy to meet anyone who is interested.
1: Brilliant. Um Julie, thank you again. Thank you absolute so pleasure. Much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, John. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Julie from Family Learning School. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can subscribe for free to get notifications whenever a new interview is released. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated. Finally, you can get in touch by email on lessonsoutside at gmail.com.